Games Podcast. The best Linux games, the best games available for the uh, GNU slash Linux operating system via the mechanism and distribution network known as Steam, brought to you by Valve. After 700,000 years, the Steam has come to Linux, and beyond that, it has come to Linux in the form of the egalitarian Linux-like platform, Steam, an open marketplace in which everyone, total meritocracy, everyone, regardless of size, amount of money, regardless of amount of developers, and prospective sales, if you have a game, and it is good, then get time and it will be That's right, ladies and gentlemen, it's Saturday, and that means it's time for one thing. It's time for the podcast where the quality goes in before the name goes on. You're listening to the Best Linux Games Podcast, a companion piece to the uh, Steam group of the same name. Find us on Steam, you know, uh, join us on Steam, and friend me on Steam. My name is Scooky Sprite. I am your host. In case this is your first time here, uh, the ground rules for everything that we do are very simple. We have news, we have the latest titles that we are interested in, of course, features, you know, like kind of in-depth looks or reviews, and then we have, of course, everyone's favorite, the deals, uh, the best games that you can buy for as cheap as possible. If you join us on the group, our recommendations are curated with the sole criteria of It must run on Linux, and it must be really good. These are recommendations only, of course. Uh, not complete reviews, which generally will follow, um, especially once they get some other mofos on this show. And as always, the content that awaits you ahead may not be appropriate for members of all species, races, genders, classes, creeds, and especially might not be age or work appropriate. So, it begins. Let's get the next game on, bitches! Hello and welcome to episode number 405 of the Best Linux Games Podcast being recorded for you on this Sunday, the 31st of July, 2022 at 17.07pm left coast time, coast with the most Pacific time, bitches, crack engineer, wapow, Ivor Molina, over there in the booth, how you doing, Ivor? Mmm... Yeah, I know. It's been a hell of a week. Uh, you're fired, Ivor. So, your your war is over, old friend. He's holding up the whiskey sign, though. So that means we tip, 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 drink. Where are you? That would, of course, make it for our sequel friends, the followers of the One True Time and Date format. 2022-0731-1708. We have a very different show for you this week, but before we get to... It's a a fucking good show. You want to stick around for this one. If you like Linux gaming via Steam, we're going to... I have a modest proposal. I'm unveiling a modest proposal. 
um, in this week's episode that's aimed directly at Valve and Steam and uh, several of the major community leaders. But we'll get to that, all that, in a little bit. First, straight to our top stories. Oh, and we also have some uh, good games. Uh, but this... We're just going to give you some updates on some game stuff, and then we're going to get to this modest proposal, which I think you know, we'll see what you guys think, but I think it is pretty fucking bulletproof and uh, a really not just a really good idea like there are good ideas, and then there are necessary ideas I think this is a necessary idea um, I actually spent the fucking four hours to write it down in longhand, so I'll be reading that to you all. Um, and trust me, it's you you'll, it's exciting. I think it's exciting. I think it's a very very exciting idea. But top stories, um, a couple of updates for games that are favorite friends of the show and favorite games that I've been playing. First major update. Hellish Quart, the uh, Bushido Blade-like um Hema, whatever the fuck um uh Eastern European bladed weapon dueling <laughs> game, very much in the vein of Bushido Blade it's one of my favorite games got a major update, they have a new character, Marta Marta is another uh she's got a, a cup a cup uh a cup style rapier it's not a cutlass it's a it's a rapier and she is not an old woman but she plays like the most what's the word surgical and unathletic um, of all the duelists that they've put out for the game so far. Uh, meaning, like, everything that she does is, like, a simple move that is meant to be a killing stroke. Which is kind of true of all of the other fencers in the game. Um, but, if anything, she's like a cross between Father Zira without the booze and without the broadsword. Um and Marie without the athleticism and without the fencing foil. She has a rapier. It's a cup-style rapier. Um, she is not... I mean, she can execute moves that are very fast, but they're very subtle, and they're very difficult to read, and they require like, the least amount of energy on her part to execute. So, like... Because, I mean, you know, if you have a fucking... If you have a fucking rapier... And it's razor sharp. And, you know, you're... You know what you're doing in a fucking duel. All you need to do is put three inches of that blade anywhere into the right parts of your opponent, and they're dead. That's it. Like, oh, look, there's your heart. You're dead. It doesn't have to be super fast. It just has to be just enough energy to get right in there. She's not slow, she's deceptive, she is nasty, and she is wonderful. And she, she, uh, 
like just like all the other uh, characters in Hellish Court, her costume was scanned literally, I think they're in Prague. I think these guys are based in Prague. I can't remember. Don't quote me on that. Ivor, you're fired! Um, But they did 3D scans of all of the costumes from the fucking 17th century. There's a museum out where they live and they got access to scan all so all of the like it's just like everything else that they put out for Hellish Court, which is still in early access. They're already adding another guy, but also on top of that, oh yeah, so she she wears this giant black, severe, austere, um, like govern like the wife of the governor kind of uh 17th century gown. And it's black and it's thick and it's velvet and she's she's young she's fit, um, but she just doesn't like to waste any effort or movement. She's not as flashy or as um, yeah, she's not as showy. She doesn't have a showy fencing style, which is really cool to see. Because she can totally fucking hold her own. I mean, she can fucking parry and riposte all day long. But her her uh, economy of motion, that's the, those, the, thank you, Ivor. No, you're still fired. Hit the brick ship bird. Get the fuck out of here, man. You didn't even do the rundown this week. I mean, f- fuck you. Fuck you. It's not his fault, actually. Actually, everything is his fault. But economy of motion, that's exactly right, Ivor. He wrote it. He's got it pressed against the glass. I put a frowny face underneath it. Oh, that's so cute, Ivor. I love you, too. I love you, too, and I wish you all luck in your quest to find a new reason to exist and possibly gainful employment. Wish you all the best. Provided that it's not here. Yeah, get the fuck out. So, anyway, economy of motion. So she, everything is just like these little. So it's just some broader moves, but she doesn't have a lot of swinging. They're not like they're exactly as much as necessary, which makes her really deceptive and nasty to read, um, and makes her entirely different. Uh, one of the most amazing things about Hellish Court is how even in early access, even like I've been playing Hellish Court, I think for like over a year now in early access, and they've added um, four characters at this point. If I, Three or four characters. Each one more unique than the last. It's such a great panoply of fucking uh, pre-Napoleonic dueling in the Eastern European style as a fighting game. It's not like a simulator, you know, they're not trying to but it is also extremely accurate. And so to, like, really plumb the depths of so much material um, that is arcane to most uh and to do it so well and with such like, uh, what's the word? Is it fastidi- fastidiousness? 
they're, they're, they're really fucking anal about the accuracy. They want everything to be historically accurate. And they also love fighting games. I mean, these guys actually fight with swords. They're in, they have, they have leagues out there. Um, they know what they're doing. And so it's like, but they also love, you know, Tekken and Bushido Blade. And they want to make a fighting game with realistic and historically period accurate Eastern European, uh, fencing styles in, you know, high stakes Mortal Kombat duels to the death you know, one hit will kill you most of the time um, I had I had a frustrating time last night but we'll get we'll get to that um, with our modest proposal but I, I've been working on the modest proposal now for a couple of months, so anyway so that's Hellish Court, oh and they also added a first person experimental view, which is not the, and they're very adamant to say that this is not how they want the game to be played, but they are adding it right now, kind of for shits and giggles. The game is not going to be played that way. The preferred method is this, you know, TPP, you know, pseudo, uh, well, full third person, semi uh, perspective, right camera, you know, blah. Um, free rotating at floor height, which is it's it's great, it's great. We tried to play it last night though with uh, Steam Remote Play, and it gave us nothing but shit. But that's a different story. We'll talk more about that later on. But uh, the first person view is, you know, whatever. It's 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 a novelty that's pretty fun. But Marta is fucking rad, and they're already working on their next character. It seems like their team has grown too. So if you if you like Bushido Blade at all, Hellish Court is even though it's in early access has reached a level of maturity that I never thought it would see. And it's even in, in its final release, and it is not anywhere near its final release. They're still adding the story mode, which I've seen the cinemas for the uh, opening of. It looks incredible. The game is going to be awesome, and it's already worth your money. So, give them your fucking money. If that if this is the type of game that you like, if you like, you know, let's go first to 300 uh, kills dueling-wise with, like, one-hit-one-kill style weaponry that is very accurate and very fun and very poetic and beautiful and sophisticated, go give Hellish Court your fucking money. Just fork it over bitches, fork over the cash. Where is the money, Lebowski? We want to see fucking money! For reals, and they deserve it. Um, That brings us to our new and noteworthy Oh, yeah, I know. A couple other uh, housekeeping things. Uh, Apologies for last week's episode, uh, episode 404. Um, It it wasn't my fault, obviously. It was Ivor's fault! Luckily, he's fired. He no longer works here. Um, oh, don't hang yourself again, man. Come on. Come on. You gotta show some... If you're gonna do this every fucking week, man. Zombie Ivor, of course. Be at least a little creative. A little more inventive. Come on. Every fucking week with the hanging. Right. It's pathetic is what it is. Anyway. No initiative. It's actually the Ivor Molina experience right there. In a nutshell. No innovation, no creative thought, no initiative. 
no fucking sense of duty and obligation to the show, to you, our listeners, to make the show entertaining or to improve the show at all in any way, shape, or form, even with your own death. Are you happy now? Don't cry. Okay. I'm lowering the blast shield on Ivor. Actually, it's a slow blast shield. Hang on. I can reverse that. Reverse it. Bring it back up. Uh, apologies for last week's show, episode 404, when Ivor, crack engineer Ivor Molina, crackhead engineer Ivor Molina, um, accidentally recorded the entire show through our Nexigo webcam instead of through our actual fucking mic. Hopefully, who knows what'll happen this week? Uh, hopefully, if that the sound of my the next voice you hear will be the ambassador's phone melting. Um, rocket ship XM was not a failure, but a resounding success. Uh, so, um, I wanted to apologize for for that about last week's show. Next week, we will have a review of Strikes. I I'm at the end of the game. Um, just know that it's a magical fucking game that you should play. We, I don't have a final verdict yet because I have yet to beat it. It's a short game. It's a shorter game. It's a shorter game, sir. I was just about to clear them. Leave them to me. Ah, oh, a lightsaber. A Jedi's weapon. You want this, don't you? Um, anyway, sorry, Star Wars flashback. I've been watching all of Rebels, and I'm finally at the end of Rebels, and as soon as I'm done with this episode of the podcast, I get to see the stunning conclusion of Rebels. If you like Star Wars, by the way, check out Rebels. It's really good. Four seasons. Really good. In fact, it's better than (sighs) several of the movies in the franchise. But I wanted to apologize for the fucked up episode 404. Hopefully you can hear me now. And, uh... Yeah! We have one new and noteworthy. It's a short one, and then we'll get to my modest proposal. Which is going to... uh, The proposal itself won't do anything, because that's like asking a chair to fucking, you know, uh to design and launch a satellite into space to create a telecommunications network of chairs, which is not going to happen. But the proposal, I think you're going to want to stick around for because it is... I don't say so myself. I think a very, very excellent idea. I were based him with the new and noteworthy. I was a North American fall when were in my former life. Here are the newest and most noteworthy titles from this week. Alright, our new and noteworthy this week is a game called Multiverses. M-U-L-T-I-V-E-R-S-U-S. All one word. Put them together, you get Multiverses. Multiverses is an interesting game that I had a fucking hell of a time getting to run but since I've been broke since I've been broke since I've been broke I've been very broke 
by the way. I know you care so passionately. Go buy my fucking album, DraculaFactory.com. Your mom is a slutty wizard. Go buy ten copies of it. Um, give them to you, give those virtual copies to your friends and buy extra copies and shove them up their assholes. And then buy extra copies for those extra copies to go further into their colons until finally you've bought so many copies that you reach their minds and that is how hearts and minds are won. Moving up the central nervous system just like, ah, that's a good point, Ivor, alcohol moves up the central nervous system starting at the base of the spine ah, until finally it reaches the brain where the deadly, where, where, where the actual target lies, the real problem synaptic activity and the capacity therefore, or thereof I don't know, anyway and no, I'm not high, I'm not getting high yet, I'm not even getting drunk yet, uh, but mm, this ought to help multiverses It's a, I, I even like the title. Multiverses, as in like, not as in poems, but as in opponents, as in multiple series of conflicts, is a two-dimensional uh, two-dimensional fighting game that's not your traditional fighting game in any way shape or form. It's it's like a cross between a fighting game and dodgeball. The but there's no there's no ball. There are no rules in this in multiverses because multiverses is made by Warner Brothers. And they own the uh character licenses for a lot of fucking characters. All of which, many of which, lots of which are available for you to control and fight in multiplayer online battles that are quick, terse, simple, simple controls, uh, simple, there's no, I mean, some characters are simpler than others, some characters are better, but the goal is simple. Did I say simple enough yet? Because it's it's simple. I'm I'm simple Jack. The goal of this game is to knock your opponent off of the side of the screen. Okay? We've all been there. It's a fighting game. Two-dimensional fighting game. With pseudo three-dimensional beautifully animated characters from the Warner Brothers catalog. Now... The best way to describe multiverses, which is free to play, and that's the only way I've been playing it. I played it for 76 minutes. Um, I've had a really good time with this game. But what's great about it, other than like the fucking awesome fast matchmaking and the blah, is that every character, and we'll get to that in a moment, we're not going to spend too much time on this. We'll be out of here in under an hour. Isn't that right, Gregor? Look at the fucking case, won't we, Gregor? Ivor will be here till Christmas. Jesus Christ! Again! Trapped by my own machinations and the idiocy of my co of my, uh... Whatever. My my Sancho to my Don Quixote. Ivor. Mm. 
Multiverses reminds me most of that famous line from the professional, Leon the, Leon the professional. Gary Oldman at the end says, bring me everyone. Uh, every, every, bring me everyone! So, the sheer amount of madness that is already in this free-to-play game, of course, there's like, you know, you can buy your way to other characters and stuff faster, but it seems like they're going to be adding, it seems like a major project on behalf of the franchise and it's a really cool one because it benefits us all for instance the only people that I really want that I demand get added to multiverses as soon as possible are the Warner Brothers but especially the Warner Sister Dot and I also want Dr. Scratch and Sniff and I want the nurse and I want Freud Laven. Um, so the Warner Brothers own the character licenses to a lot of fucking characters. Batman, Superman, all of the Cartoon Network characters, including Scooby-Doo, uh, including Rick and Morty. There are characters from Rick and Morty already in the game. Uh, including Wonder Woman, uh, including HBO somehow, like they own the line, oh, uh, all the Cartoon Network uh, stuff, Adventure Time you got plays Finn the Human or Jake the Dog um, Game of Thrones Anya Stark is in the fucking game Bugs Bunny fucking everyone I have the sense will be in this fucking game eventually and so everyone has their own crazy moves. You want to see Batman fight Superman? Ah, well, that's pretty fucking lame. It's way better to see fucking Anya Stark fight Finn the Human, which is just absolutely insane. Uh, even better, uh, you know, uh, uh, Wonder Woman versus, uh, uh, not Wonder Woman, uh, uh, Shaggy versus Bugs Bunny and because there are no rules and the rule, the actual controls are so simple and the moves are so simple it seems that way on the surface but some characters have many crazy fucking multi-step combos that don't work in, like Bugs Bunny every single one of Bugs Bunny's moves is absolutely insane like there's one where he, like, he can drop a safe on you um, the safe almost always misses you but then the safe if left for too long can become a bomb Bugs Bunny can fly through the air from left to right or right to left whatever by using his ears as a fucking helicopter as his helicopter blades which will give damage if you jump into them um Shaggy can pull a magic sandwich from the ground and throw it at you. Uh, timing is essential. The coolest thing, though, are the thing that I kind of 
The reason why this game has serious potential, one, it's got the Warner Brothers license behind it, and they are, it looks like they're going balls out. Like, you're talking about, this is Season Battle Pass 1, you know, blah. It's also very easy to link it to your Steam account, because it does require, like, a Warner Brothers account, but it just pops up with a QR code, and when you scan that code on your phone, or on your computer, if you're, like, me and a multiple monitors, I, I did it on my phone, that code actually when you when you finish that registration process which is not difficult and not it's like three steps it's not onerous at all automatically the same way that like you know you link your Roku to your TV um automatically links your Steam account to you know like a provisional ad hoc Warner Brothers account it, it's really good. It's really streamlined when it works. We'll talk about that a little bit later. It does have easy anti cheat, but I played it uh, online. It is in early access, but it's free. Um, free to play. And you will like the tutorial, and it's worth the download. And it's, I mean, I, I've only played it for 76 minutes, but I've won a bunch of matches and stuff. Um, and you get credits for matches and shit, but it's really the craziness of seeing all of, it's literally multiverse mayhem in like a Super Smash Brothers style uh, cross-platform online multiplayer focused free-to-play battle royale kind of tournament of fucking madness like cause seriously like Anya Stark versus Finn the Human like Finn the Human <laughs> it was just crazy it's crazy like, you can fight Mr. Meesix in the fucking uh, from um, Rick and Morty from uh, I mean uh, Rick and Morty in the tutorial and then Wonder Woman and Rain Dog will help you I don't know what the fuck Rain Dog I don't remember Rain Dog but like, there's all this cooperative stuff that is hinted at I've not played with anyone else on my team but like there's like a 2 versus 2 mode um, I've only played 1 versus 1 but there's also group battle mode which is like, kind of like a tech and tag kind of thing it looks like but I've only done that once um, the matches are really fast and For button mashing and insofar as button mashing and sanity goes, no game has ever been crazier than this. I didn't get to play Super Smash Brothers though on any platform, so I don't. I I, I imagine that game, which is like the gold standard for this type of you know stuff. But this, this multiverses, check it out. One thing about multiverses, and this is a good segue into my modest proposal multiverses does require at least on my system game mode run uh, command uh, for the launch options check out ProtonDB if you have problems but also specifically requires Proton Experimental be used in order for it to run because it does have easy anti-cheat but it does work and the online works we'll see if that changes after they leave early access and after they leave Battle Pass Season 1 so those notes that we just 
I just had to uh, impart into your head came at some great cost. It took me like fucking 45 minutes of failing over and over again before I could get multiverses to work. And that is the subject of my modest proposal. Ivor based him with the feature. Oh my god. It's Bolivian. Never gonna let you down. I can read your mind. This week's feature. I can't read you. I can't read you. I can read your mind. Take it, Scooky. Alright, friends and neighbors, I come to you now to read you from read to you from my modest proposal. It is for a solution to the number one bedevilment, the number one problem that has always been at the core ever since Gabe Newell got on that stage and fucking gave that awesome speech that inspired me to create this podcast. Um dedicated exclusively to covering only the best games for the new slash Linux operating system, GNU slash Linux operating system, which you and I know and love so dearly. Um, Ultimately, there's one it's, and by the way, before I say this, I want to, I want to be clear. This is not this is not an indictment. This is not... I'm not holding up these people and organizations as, like, war criminals to be scorned or blamed. All of these organizations are valiant and heroic champions. Well, even if they aren't, maybe not necessarily in their hearts, witting or unwittingly, um, but mostly wittingly, I would say, uh... This is not a list of recriminations. This is the identification of a major core problem that has has been at the center of this great and awesome transformative, I would say, uh, unique alliance between uh, the false idiosphere and you know corporate uh, culture, especially in an entertainment sense, which is the best way to get people onto your platform to get people to adopt Linux. The best way to get people to adopt a computing platform is always through games. The second best way, but there's nothing as good as games. Nothing. Literally nothing. Because porn is the second way. But porn, you can get porn anywhere. Especially these days. And porn runs in any browser. Porn runs on your phone. So games it is. Which is one of the reasons why I started this podcast. I mean, I love video games and it's awesome to be able to use uh, you know, the general computing platform that is Linux, the evolving 
general computing platform that is Linux to be able to play legally purchased games easily just like any other first class citizen so therein is the crux of the problem and this has been the problem the number one problem it's been identified as more or less for I mean this is like our eighth year of doing this podcast this has been identified from year one the problem is simple the problem just like everything else is requirement for user intervention user intervention is the devil people don't even if you're expert and have a comprehensive understanding of every aspect of your system once you get into the Steam client and Proton you're dealing with a different world and that world has frequently relied on lazily, I would say, has frequently frequently offloaded and relied upon the uh, computing prowess of uh, the end user, which is generally limited, their capacity for patience, which is generally non-existent, and that includes me. All end users should be killed, by the way. I've been saying this for 15 years now. I'm also an end user, but I'm also, that makes me part of the problem. Trust me, the problem is always the end user. No user intervention. The dream of Steam on Linux has always been we will encourage, well, you know, forget the native development stuff because I never, I never understood, never, I understood the misguided and uh what do you call it um unrealistic at best and i i knew it was unrealistic uh expectation that you know ah well valve has now thrown its its weight behind linux so ergo they'll be valve itself will be able to pressure and they did pressure the the three disparate parties, meaning publishers, uh, AAA developers, and hardware manufacturers to actually support, to better support the GNU slash Linux operating system, which we all know and love. That has come to pass. But, because no developer wants to have a separate team that works in parallel while already fucking you know, landing on a wing and a prayer, if at all. And I'm talking about fucking medium-sized developers who I think make the best games because you get, like, the the benefits of, like, you know, AAA uh, kind of talent with um, new play mechanics, new ideas, new stories, new characters... You also get very sophisticated game design with great graphics, great animation, and, uh, you know, blah. So it's like all the freedom, none of the fuss. 
But for those guys, those guys put out, they don't have the option of putting out like 50 fucking games a year uh, to a base that's already going to just fucking buy them no matter what. You know, Call of Duty 27, same engine, uh, same gameplay, same graphics. Uh, we spent half a million on different voice actors and maybe 15 million on, uh, on some new animations and some new weapon designs, a little bit of physics tweaking, and yeah, you go from point to point, kill everything, and there you go! You're a hero. And you just made half a billion dollars. Literally, that's the formula. Like, one of the, it's just like, you know, the AAA developers and publishers only need their built-in audiences for their mindless zombie throngs for their giant franchises to endlessly reap hideous amounts of free money at almost no expense for the developers. So that's why I've been ranting about this shit for a long time. And this is the other reason why we do this podcast because Steam is a huge marketplace that levels the playing field. No longer do you have to deliver a physical product. You can deliver a digital product and you get paid for it. And so the idea of Steam on Linux is simply this. So easy your mom can do it. Or so easy your 12-year-old who should not be playing... Well, this is like... I'm thinking like eight years ago. Counter-Strike. So easy that they can actually fucking run... You know, they, they, not run Linux, but, you know, that that was Mandrake, and that's Ubuntu, and that's Mint. I run Mint. I like Mint a lot. Um, I also liked uh, Evolution OS. But anyway, those were easy enough that even your mom could fucking do it. So the same, thus the same thing applied to the Steam client. Steam, alright, we're throwing our money, we're, we're throwing our... Linux is our buddy! You know, Linux is the prison girlfriend of Valve. Okay? That's a really disturbing image. But it's nonetheless accurate. The dream has always been one-click purchase via an integrated uh, client that has an integrated marketplace, keeps your credentials safe, your transactions safe, handles your licenses for the software that you own, handles the servers that uh, provide you with um, the actual binaries for your games, and provides you with the next thing, one-click. So we got one-click purchase, one-click install, no configuration, done. Then one-click play. The dream in computer and gaming, even beyond Linux, has always been for that one-click play. No configuration, one-click play. In order to expand, because the market didn't adapt as fast as maybe... Well, I don't know if this was an expectation that it wouldn't, or if it was just, um... Anyone knew this from the very beginning, that no one's gonna... 
No, no developer, especially an intermediate sized developer, is going to develop a game for Windows, which has 98% of the fucking PC gaming market, and have a separate team in parallel simultaneously refactoring that code on the, I mean like fuck it's like anyone who thought that you know just for Linux so you got one team that's doing the Windows thing and they are you know actually making the game and then you have another team like at the other end of the snake or the other end of the conveyor line also refactoring it and forking it and making it run perfectly natively on Linux no it's never going to happen Especially not for entertainment uh, stuff. And that's where, like, I I differ with a lot of people. I'm, I'm a very profound free and open source software advocate. Um, have been for 20... Oh, fuck. Over 20 years. Um, but that doesn't apply to everything. Free and open source software, the, the, if, to me, that means, you know, just in the Stallman-esque, you know, blah, you can copy it, you can modify it, you can distribute it freely, and it doesn't have any proprietary locks in it. It doesn't have uh, frozen binaries, you know, it doesn't have, um, it doesn't have uh, file formats that are invented just to keep them unreadable elsewhere and stuff like that. You know what I mean? Like, um, just, just to preserve market monopolies over the ability to open that file. Those of you who are of a certain age will remember, uh, well, fucking PDF is fucking postscript. Hey, but you'll remember, uh, how long it took for us to be able to get rich text format instead of doc. Um, and then those of you who are of a lesser age, uh, who are younger, uh, might remember the advent of LibreOffice, etc. No proprietary formats that exist exclusively f- to retain your monopoly. And then the actual business logic of the fucking code has to be fucking auditable, editable, modifiable, freely redistributable. That is freedom and not slavery. You're not locked into a monopoly. You're not, you know what I mean? That is freedom, and it's important. But the same does not apply to entertainment. And is never, and I've, I've made it clear on this show many times, I don't believe that video games should be free. I don't believe that movies should be free. I don't believe that music should be free. I'm a fucking musician, motherfucker. Pay me. You want more music? Well, soon you'll have it, have whatever fucking pentatonic pap you want uh, produced by fucking uh, Neural Network. And they've gotten pretty good at it already. Um, and then your ears will get dulled and the spark will go out of the human imagination in terms of music, which it already has, more or less, in my humble opinion. Except for me, because I love it and it's a singular skill that. Spend my life mastering, but whatever. It doesn't matter. Yeah, I'm sure buggy manufacturers felt the same way.
So until, you know, video games are not free. Video games should never be free. You should pay for video games. You can pirate them. I don't pirate any every game that we talk about on this show unless specifically noted. I have paid for 100%. So, the problem is this. Yeah, we got sidetracked a lot there. But anyway, now now you there's no way you're going to have like all these developers buy in. So, Steam secretly for years started working with Wine. Windows uh, Wine is not an emulator. The Wine crew who has been for as long as I've been on fucking Mandrake Linux since fucking mouse fart after like so like yeah like uh 1999 I want to say is when like uh Wine was a glimmer on the horizon. Wine the Wine project has been struggling to make without having a full virtual machine, and this is before the days of real virtual machines that worked, at least, in the way they work now, at least performantly and etc., because video games are so graphically dependent, they require access to more closer, lower-level access to your actual hardware and the, you know, the operating system itself as an interface layer to that hardware. So anyway, Wine wanted, the Wine project has always been working towards making Windows game, Windows software run on Linux with as limited a footprint as possible without having to provision a virtual server, without having to have a host and a hypervisor, you know, and dedicated hard drive space and stuff. Why can't that all just be fucking... Why can't we just pull the, the the libraries that we need and have this lightweight footprint that, you know, assembles itself for the individual application that's running non-natively? So there we go. We have Wine as an intermediary compatibility layer between non-native uh, software... Uh, software, in this case, games that, you know, require certain libraries, functionality, file systems, and uh, like a big API. But like an API that's kind of like a movable feast. Kind of like a limited footprint than a Docker image, smaller than a VM. And it's specifically tailored to what that application needs to run effectively on a machine that is not native it was not natively designed for there we go so that's a compatibility layer well eventually Valve got really sick of trying to harass and harangue and cajole and demonstrate that you know supporting Linux natively to game developers would be to their advantage because it's not they are in the business of making money and they should be in the business of making money because unlike business logic, which actually controls your freedom of thought in the, you know, in the internet world, in, in, in our, in our digital lives, um, entertainment is entertainment. You pay, motherfucker. You, me love you long time, but you pay. You pay now. 
And until, without the ability to, like, you know, uh, demonstrate a market that was ready, willing, eager, and uh, trusting, and a hard time persuading intermediate developers and most developers just in general. I mean, like, fuck. I've been working on games. I've been working only on Linux systems games with the idea of, like, I would have to port them to Windows when I'm done. But that's because I'm insane. And I love the FOSS. And the best free tools to make games are available for Linux these days. Well, not the best, but the ones that I like the most. But anyway, that's a different story. So they weren't going to be able to convince these major market forces to respond to this. We're only like one-tenth of one percent of the computing gaming market. That is the entire market of all Linux gamers. Which is why I never get discouraged about the stats for this show. And also, why I never look at the stats for this show. Like, once every year, I look at the stats. Mm. It's a small market. And if, as a developer, if I have to stake literally my second mortgage on this game that's going to take maybe 18 months with me and maybe like one or two guys who are contracted into the project as work for hires <laughs> and if I fail I lose all that money and all that time and all that effort I am going to be focusing on the biggest market I can and not the smallest market that is in the known universe because like Linux then Amiga Amiga OS. Oh, yeah. I love Amiga OS. But anyway, that's a different story. So, in secret, over the course of years, Valve started working. They had a secret skunk works that was liaising with and supporting financially and technically supporting the wine development team to create a fork of wine called Proton in secret. Which was specifically designed to solve this problem of not being able, through the Steam client, with one-click purchase, one-click install, one-click play, that wasn't working. And the Steam client itself makes the entire provisioning of uh, of uh, the wine directory structure and stuff like that. It's not technically provisioning, but anyway makes it really complicated and it was a pain in the ass to do by hand by pain in the ass I mean it took like an hour and then you had to fucking use and configure that whole thing through wine tricks and and other that's literally a program oh, it's actually a GUI for a configuration interface that actually pulls down like other stuff that, but even then it's still what frequently wouldn't work with fucking Steam. It had nothing to do with Steam and it had everything to do with the level of complexity and variety of fucking shit that uh, is required to deal with it. So that made it really the problem has always been that single problem. It's always been really complicated to get non-native software running on Linux. 
one-click license purchase, one-click install, one-click play, which is what gamers want. So, Proton comes out, and bam, we go from three thousand. We go from uh, something like fifteen hundred games that run on Linux via the Steam client to 30,000 overnight. But no one knew what the fuck would run and blah, 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 blah. And Proton, here we go. Here's the problem. And then we'll get and then we'll get a solution. I'm now going to begin reading to you for my modest proposal. Hopefully we'll be out of here in an hour and 15, right, Ivor? Yeah, we'll be here till Christmas. Again, these are not indictments. These are just facts. First problem. The games. These are all interlocking develop, uh, directorates, by the way. These are all... All of these are interrelated. And there's actually a sequence in which they're related, but it's immaterial for the purposes of this uh, proposal. First problem. The games. Game developers update their games. Both, not even just in early access, but like after release. And you know, just like everything else that gets updated in the software stack, uh, you know, security updates, uh, quality of life improvements, tweaks, um, you know, better, uh, you know, all sorts of shit gets changed. Sometimes these updates to the games themselves break things for us Linux users when the previous version of Proton that was needed to run the previous version of the game suddenly stops working. This requires user intervention. Problem the second. Proton itself. Proton itself sets update, uh, uh, gets updates and has changes pushed to it all the time. There's, of course, the fucking, you know, release stack. You have a stable, experimental, working, you know, blah, blah, you have branches, you know, all run by all being version controlled by Git and etc. And you have, you know, your releases and stuff. But nevertheless, because it's a compatibility layer, because Proton itself is a compatibility layer between your Steam client, which Proton itself is just a fancy wine handler, which is in and of itself another compatibility layer between uh, software developed for Windows so that it can interact with your Linux box, and your Linux box itself, Proton is meant to generally support as many games as possible. It can't account for every fucking game that's ever been made. There is... There's no way to do that. You know, like, it's not, um, it's not like... What I'm saying is Steam didn't develop every game that is available for purchase. (laughs) on the Steam client. And so inevitably, there will be breakages, causing some games as features in Proton are added or removed. Meaning, you know, changing something, you know, major change to Proton itself, which means a major change essentially to Wine, almost, but the, the two are not mutually exclusive. Um, you know, Libraries are added. Others are removed. Some are their workarounds that are figured out. Like I'm thinking about, um, like Media Foundation and shit like that. Other problems that have come up that are that cause breakages in some games, but not others. 
And so now this, in order to restore a game that was working with another version of Proton before Proton got updated, or to find the right version of Proton that's needed to run a specific game, this requires you you got it user intervention say it with me okay so and user intervention also say it with me is the devil third problem actual publisher front ends some some publishers and some developers specifically thinking here of the uh, electronic arts ea origin thin client have their own intermediary in-house game clients that are meant to function not at all on Linux and not at all as a sub-client enslaved to, um, you know, the Steam client, which is already... The Steam client was originally designed as copy protection. Um, But that's a different story altogether. Go back and listen to uh, older episodes of this podcast if you want to hear the entire history of the Steam client, but, uh, and Marketplace. Anyway, so they have their own intermediary in-house game clients that function as front-ends as well as their own in-house copy protection, sometimes designed for cross-platform use, but never designed for Linux use, being run through three other intermediary um, compatibility layers, uh, and so copy protection for uh, end-user license licensure of their games, along with achievements and social stuff, because the whole pressure has has been over the last five years to involve to create more of a social experience that is easier. Um, and more appealing for you know your end you know your 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 end user your your customer your client your gamer your twelve year old your forty three year old in this case so these clients these front end clients also get updates pushed to them frequently and then they, they update the games themselves or they try to. Uh, you know, whatever. These clients also get updates pushed to them, frequently resulting in breakages that have to be ameliorated by one of the other intermediary layers in the chain. Meaning like Proton, uh, one great fix could be, you know, an update gets pushed to Proton because, you know, whatever whatever game you're everyone's playing that they really like right now on the Steam client suddenly no longer works because they added something to that intermediary client and all of this just means one thing, say it with me user intervention and what is user intervention kids? user, inter- user intervention is the devil finally, our fourth problem is Steam itself. Steam itself has updates that get pushed to it. But beyond that, forget the, just the update, uh, I, the, the paradigm of, of updates and version control and uh, package management and stuff like that um, in, a, in a game context running in running through multiple different compatibility layers on an alien operating system. Forget all of that. Steam itself, the Steam client itself generates breakages sometimes in its own end-user configuration. Like, uh, for instance, whether or not you have beta participation toggled on or off, depending on what game and what context you're trying to play that game, that can interfere with, you know, like Steam Remote Play Together last night didn't work because I had beta participation on, and I wasn't executing the fucking game in big picture mode because I hate big picture mode and I forgot. And so we couldn't get 
Steam to recognize simultaneously my controller and my remote friend's controller. Stuff like that. So we're talking about uh, actual end-user configuration aspects like beta participation, controller profiles, GUI and menu alterations, some of which are cosmetic, other, others of which have been really profound, never announced, undocumented, um, other front-end user configuration changes that are indiscreet. They are not separated. They're not, you know, the end user isn't informed of these changes. Uh, and those type of endless menus and menu options and ever-changing menus and menu options is not my preferred way to configure anything, by the way. But, it, you know, it works for... It works if it's static. It works if it doesn't change. But because it's generally confusing and and poorly documented and not at all communicated to the actual end users as to like their availability and import um, or what it actually does and occur without notice out of the blue. And so such changes can cause breakages that are even more complex than just you know, the wine and all the intermediate, all the ugh, intermediary, intermediary, intermediate compatibility layers. That's what I'm trying to say. Um, and it can be as simple as changing one thing in one menu in your global settings on Steam, but they're hard to find. And if you don't, if someone hasn't told you that's how to fix it, then you'll, you know, you will never think of it because you're already thinking about all these other problems that you're trying to bug check. All of which require what? Say it with me! User intervention. And what is user intervention, friends and neighbors? User intervention is the devil. Why is... Now, I have some premises about that, and this is very short. Well, yeah, we'll get out of here at 1.30. Maybe an hour and a half. Yeah, so... Why is user intervention the devil? It's confusing. It's confusing even if you're a fucking expert. Even if you're like a fucking Dark Jedi system system administrator. It's confusing. It's still confusing. Uh, The opaque experimentation without actually knowing if a solution is even possible is a recipe for end-user frustration. You do not want frustrated end users. And by frustrated, I mean people who are told no, you can't play this game on your Linux box, but we sold you a license for it. Or even worse, and this is where, this is the the origins of this modest proposal for me uh, going back about a eh, year and a half ago. So when, I, when the nascent seeds of this idea were planted in my tiny little skull even worse a game that previously ran on your Linux box which we sold you a license for and told you would run suddenly stops working on your Linux box and you're back into the shitstorm of trying to figure out which version of Proton doing etc so this results in frustration and end user dissatisfaction determines confidence in platforms and confidence in a platform is tied entirely to the operating system, meaning lack of confidence reflects horribly, horribly on your operating system, which has a stochastic resonance 
of darkness and negativity throughout um, you know the world and the marketplace it becomes and that becomes a vicious cycle you know devs reflect devs reflect the desires and the needs and wants of, of their consumers ostensibly consumers reflect their experiences so if your game suddenly stops working on Linux or if it's really hard requires a lot of end user configuration to get working on Linux and then suddenly stops or the performance is poor or um, you can't see the cutscenes um, or it's fucking four years old and now it's finally available on you know blah that's you know blah those create very negative impressions about Linux itself and rightly so um and that is not a way to build market cap and it's not a way to build confidence in Linux as a as the you know brilliant general computing platform that it is and it's not a way to gain hearts and minds and yeah like I said market cap in a free market you know pseudo free mer- free market economy mm. in short devs won't be developing or rushing to develop or even caring to spend you know $500 to hire someone to even manage a single port or whatever or any sort of problem they will not and that is not the way forward okay so the solution my actual modest proposal Solution isn't just obvious and possible. It's simple. Normally, for to solve something like this, where you have seven different stacks of problems, because you have seven different individual, discrete, unrelated software developers in this. First, you have the hardware. Then you have the your actual Linux distribution, which you know relates to your hardware. Then you have your Steam client. Then you have Proton. Proton is an intermediary layer to wine. Then maybe you have a uh, uh, developer or publisher's own front end, proprietary front end for their game that's now running non-natively. And then you have the games themselves. All of those are discrete, separate stacks of developers who are not relating to each other. And so version control across all of them for everything is impossible. Beyond that, even if it were possible, they have no fucking logical um, impetus that would compel them to be interested in doing that work and paying for the work necessary, you know, for all of those things to work together. Which is why Linux solves all problems in the FOSS and the FOSS idiosphere. This is what we do. We might take us a couple years, might take us five years, might take us ten. Took us about fifteen to get well, longer than that. I'd say, yeah, about fifteen. A little longer, seventeen maybe. To take the broken uh, horror that was Mandrake. I I love Mandrake. Mandrake changed my life. 
um, and turn it into the fully functional, full-featured, actually capable Ubuntu-style based off of Debian um, free and open-source desktop that we now enjoy to the extent that we can actually play these types of video games with full 3D acceleration, etc. So, generally to solve a problem like this would require a really complicated engineered solution that would have to bring together a lot of I mean it would it would require a lot of effort a lot of coding and like a real dedicated team and some sort of centralized you know blah no not so and this is like one of the great design benefits of going and understanding the FOSS by adopting Linux, Valve also adopted at least in part, but if not in practice, then in philosophy at least an endorsement of the brilliance of having a decentralized non-hierarchical goon swarm And also coding things modularly. You know, making everything small, trying to document it as well as possible, which Valve is terrible at. Um, but also not keeping anything a secret. Um, other than, other than, other than Proton itself. But Proton is now released to the community and it's updated. You can fucking fork it on fucking GitHub if you want. Code's there, the documentation's there. Go to it. So you give back to the community, modular design, and when you end up with a problem like we are currently facing, and this is a big problem, suddenly you can see that the universe has already responded. All you have to do is glue the bits and pieces together it requires limited effort and expense especially in terms of original engineering so here's my modest proposal steam needs to add an option to the configuration page for a video game you know like in that menu when you like right click on properties and stuff there should be an option i it would also be cool if it, if it could be global in the settings and then also toggleable for individual games. Everything else stays the same. You don't even need to re-engineer the, the GUI. There's no front-end user experience that really needs to change. This is all back-end stuff, except for this one, these two checkboxes. The option is this. Enable auto mode. What does auto mode do? It automates all these config decisions that are currently being lazily offloaded to end users and end users and end user intervention are what? They're the devil. So, proposed functionality for auto mode. Valve adds a scraper integrated to the Steam client for ProtonDB.com fucking under under twenty, I can. I'm doing it in my head right now. I'm counting them. Under fucking fifteen lines of code in PHP, 
maybe 30 in Python, uh, maybe 150 in Python. Um, that's all the logic that would be needed. Could easily evaluate the entries on ProtonDB at runtime. You just sort the results based on whether or not you know the report is a, a working thing. Then you sort them by date, more recent to least recent. Then, and this is like totally optional. I mean, this would not, and the end user doesn't do any of this. This is just what this fucking little bit, this widget would do. Then also looks at the distro, because like everyone who contributes to ProtonDB has to upload their same Steam configuration, hardware uh, configuration analysis file. So you, which includes, generally speaking, your distro. automatically, along with all sorts of other information, if necessary, but all we really want all we really want is for this thing to do one thing discard the borked entries discard the ones that are labeled uh, EAC and then just pull the proton version number from the most recent entries Compared to the one to the version of Proton that it is currently configured to be to be using, which is user intervention. If there's like and and you know, it's operating off of limited information. It's operating off of crowdsourced information. It's not bad information. It's how we all have to do this now. This would save me 30 minutes anytime, at least 30 minutes, a lot more than that, and when you deal with a lot of games and a lot of changes, a lot of Proton versions researching how to make a game run is not where the industry that's not the future of the industry so pull the Proton version number of the work, of the most recent working ones, try them, and if there's like more than one, you know, you wait them, you collate them and wait them um, and you know you can even I could I am writing the algorithm in my, I've, I just wrote the algorithm in my head for all right fine what's the what's the weight of this version number versus that version number well yeah okay fine you add up how many working reports then maybe if you want to you don't need to do this in fact my suggestion for the initial iteration of this uh, idea is to not it's to be very lightweight and completely invisible to the end user other than those two checkboxes. Anyway, you figure out well, okay, so uh, there are two that are very new that are completely working and they are, they are completely dissimilar system. Like, one's Pop! OS and the other one's Manjaro. Doesn't matter. They're both using the same version of Proton. If they're both using the same uh, command mode, like, you know, the same uh, 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 command line parameters... Uh, or whatever, then great, maybe you add that in later, like, as a later, um, functionality. Otherwise, you don't. You just fucking get the version number. The most recent working Proton version number. If that Proton version number happens to be a glorious egg roll version, fucking Steam Client should wget it and fucking untar it automatically pop up a dialogue that says Steam needs to restart to, you know, blah, restart your client, not your computer, your client, 
blah, that functionality already exists inside the Steam client. Then, without having to add more user interface elements, GUI shit, no complicated engineering, no overhead, no data management, no maintaining your own database or adding any dialog boxes or configuration options other than those two checkboxes. You've obviated 80% of all user intervention required to run most games that actually will run via Proton on almost any Linux box. The, the significance in user the the the, the um, improvement in in, in uh, the end user experience isn't just significant. It's it would be enormous. Benefits of this. One, it doesn't pollute stable or experimental code bases, doesn't require integrated uh, teamwork between disparate uh, corporate entities or development teams who are working at cross-purposes and have no interest, time, money, or extra resources to really involve themselves in any such, such collaboration. Um, doesn't require uh, to make a monolith out of the fucking video game industry. Doesn't make any further demands on the actual game developers if they're, you know, small, medium, or even the large ones. Because the large ones don't care, the medium ones can't afford to care, the small ones, they don't have the actual technical expertise to be able to care about Linux while they're trying to make their fucking game because they're already a small developer. Doesn't require the end user intervention, no experimentation on the part of the end user no endless amounts of researching or looking for um, by hand I mean when it takes 45 minutes to get a game to run you know, okay fine, so you look on ProtonDB search it what do you do? You find out which version of Proton it's running, if if there are working versions. You also check to see if there are any fucking command line parameters that need to be added. Generally, the command line parameters don't, these days, it depends, though. Sometimes there's always, you know, one thing that is, there are edge cases everywhere with Proton. That's the whole idea of Proton. And there will always be edge cases. Which is why we need a crowdsource solution that automates it links what we know, which is our cumulative database of all fucking, you know, perform, uh, uh, working, non-working, and then performance knowledge, that's ProtonDB. So, we obviate all the end-user experimentation right there. If auto mode's checked, everything else, if auto mode isn't checked, then, you know, you can configure it manually or, you know, do it however the fuck you want, just like we have right now. It won't fix every game. That's what I'm saying. There will always be edge cases, but for 90% of users, would entirely streamline their experience of one-click purchase, one-click install, one-click run for 80% of all the games that can actually run on fucking Linux and are sold via the Steam client. And that is a major improvement. Not just in terms of, like, you know, sheer metrics, but in terms of enhancing 
the ease of use, and then by extension, the confidence in Linux as a a serious platform for gaming, and thus burnishes our reputation and earns us new converts, which gives us more synaptic pathways to travel through as we slowly add them to our Borg idiosphere, our FOSS idiosphere. So, very quickly, I'll just read, I have some obstacles and notes here. The obstacles are simple and obvious. Valve needs to do this. Only Valve can do this. And they are terrible at end-user experience and quality of life improvements. They've chosen instead to wait for solutions that will never come any other way. And in a universe, as Matt Hartley from the Linux Action Show used to say, in a universe where default is king and there is nothing more permanent than a temporary solution, and nothing shittier than an unresponsive fucking developer who doesn't seem to give a fuck that's that's frozen binaries that's windows last time I checked we can't open the valve client you know to fucking uh, modification by the steam community in terms of like it's actual logic you know and blah 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 in terms of uh, management is you know managing your your credit card information, your library, your credentials, etc., etc., etc. So Valve needs to do this. Also, there are some monetary costs to this. First would be that I would submit that Valve would have to pay, support, and underwrite ProtonDB.com. If necessary, uh, add that functionality. Oh, only if necessary should they add this type of functionality directly to the client in any sort of way that the end user would have to deal with. Um, you don't want to have to fucking rebuild. You don't want to reinvent the wheel in-house. The wheel's out there. Partnership. To that end, partnership is best in that relationship and these others. Also, Valve needs to hire Glorious Egg Roll. Full-time and underwrite all aspects of his operations and expenses, including giving him two full-time assistants, either for coding, testing, whatever he needs, whatever expertise he requires, and work with him directly, because and not intervene. Do not give him directives. Because Glorious Agrol himself cannot keep doing the workload that he manages to handle. Um, He needs, like, a community outreach representative, someone, and... He should be given total autonomy. You know, this should, you know, we're not bringing people in. Valve shouldn't think of this as like buying ProtonDB or buying Glorious Egg Roll, but he should be paid handsomely and allowed to work on this as a full time job without really any direct responsibilities or deadlines or whatever, because the work that he does. He should be supervising people who are as good or better than him at doing all this shit. And I think in a lot of ways he he is. He does. I mean, you know, but Valve should be paying him. Because what if Glorious Agrol decides I'm burnt out from fucking endless all these goddamn releases and I'm always chasing down the Trust me, I only lasted five years doing this. It's hard. And it takes the piss out of you. Especially even if you're young. You know, 22 hours a day is not a job that is 
was a lot of fun, but it was also a fucking nightmare. And it will burn you out. So, blah, intellectual capital, so hire fucking glorious egg roll full-time. And all of this is similar to their work with the Wine Project, you know, in, in terms of forking Proton. They gave them monetary support, they gave them programmers, they gave them all sorts of stuff and benefited from their expertise and helped to improve wine, helped to improve Rising Tide lifts all boats. You know, this was Valve seems to be a company that might be responsive to this idea. And so anyway, you know, Valve doesn't need to engineer a new solution for this. I just outlaid all the pieces. The best at getting the user data that we need, you know, the actual end user reports. That's already there. It's at ProtonDB. The, uh, ProtonDB itself could do better, but so far their solution is the preeminent solution. They engineered it and they are, you know, blah. They're it. It works. And there's no need to buy them out. You know, you but you pay them and you work closer with them. You you partner with them and you pay them. Uh, same thing with uh, Glorious Agrol, the best intermediary folk, forks of Proton that are not going to be necessarily um, included in the next stable, you know, official release of Proton. That's been done by Glorious Agrol for like fucking two years now and he's already there already and he's your expert already imagine how good you how much how 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 much better these entities and mindshare you know the the, the uh, actual expertise the 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 brains um and thus the the exp, not exponential the the subsequent benefits of supercharging these community resources and then not exploiting them not buying them out, not bringing them in house, not reverse engineering them but partnering with them imagine how much better all of this shit could be for everybody if they did that. And the other thing is if you don't do this, you will lose this. You'll lose people like Glorious A-Roll. Glorious A-Roll will not be doing this in five more years. Hopefully, you know, I, I mean and Valve, and it's cool I, I understand, yeah, because, you know that's fine, but um, with no other solution readily apparent no universal fucking workaround, you know, in the works. Valve simply needs to hire one coder. I would say like an entry-level fucking programmer. They could hire me. I could do the fucking logic. I think. Depends. Mm. Um, you know, we're talking like maybe 80 grand a year for that guy to handle the intersection of these three disparate entities and the way that Steam and the way that the Steam client uses them to bring a much higher quality experience on average to their chosen people, their friends 
we who have brought them the Steam Deck, we who have brought them, etc. You know, blah. The faucet is fear. Um, my projection for the total budget for such a project, eh, $250,000 to maybe half a million dollars annually for the whole everything. What do you get in return? You get a better Steam Deck. You get, you grow your market share. You increase market cap. You get, you grow your end user base. Three more. You don't look like a joke and you don't piss people off. And that's what all of us who love the GNU slash Linux operating system really want from Steam and Valve as a corporate partner and uh, what do you uh, benefactor and recipient of our community's goodwill and etc so there you go that's my solution uh, if you agree disagree uh, hit me up on the discord or Hit me up on the DM on Twitter at VegasWriter. V-E-G-A-S-W-R-I-T-E-R. It's an hour and a half, but we got through it. I think this is, this is very important. It's something that should be done now and not later. It's something that we can't afford to wait over. It's like every negative experience that any person... I mean, you know, this has always been true. It really turns them off. Um... And this is a problem that we don't need to engineer the solution for. The solution is already there. It does take Valve to act and they have a horrible history of, like I said, relying on relying, offloading this to the end user. But this is no longer a quality of life issue. This is this is a big deal. Because um, I've had a lot of problems over the last, especially the last four months, because like we kind of hit like an apex where everyone was basically making games that worked with Proton or Glorious Egg Roll out of the box. I've had to do a lot of rejiggering lately. A lot more. It's been reminding me of the old days. So, there you go. Cheers. I will see you next week with our review of Stray. Thanks for listening. A good idea. Four or five times. Hi there. There is delight in doing things right. Four or five times. It is I, E.B. Farnham. Maybe I'll cry. I'll get you a drink. And if I die, I'm gonna try four or five times. Do you like to play? We like to play. I like you. We like to see. It only runs on Linux. We like to go. Yaddy yaddy yo. Four or five times. We're gonna have such fun. Bebop one. You're becoming hysterical. Bebop two. Yes, sir. Thank you, sir. Bebop three. Yaddy yaddy. Four or five times. Matt Damon. Burn everything incriminating, including this building. Burn all the White House pets, and then yourselves. Burn yourselves first. There is no Windows version of weaponized chess. Boy, this is fucking ponderous, man.
ponderous, fucking ponderous. It only runs on Linux. It's not a problem. You alienated part of America. I alienated crazy people. I like it very much. It is I, E.B. Farm. You're becoming hysterical. I'm here. I'm there. I'm fucking everywhere. I'm the Eggman. The best Linux games podcast is brought to you by Blue Wizard is about to die. Now available for the first time as an ebook on Amazon.com. To subscribe to the podcast using a Linux-based podcatcher like Podracer, or to see our YouTube gameplay videos, please visit www.bestlinuxgames.com. Also, join our Steam community group, Best Linux Games, Friends Cookie Sprite, and follow him on Twitter at VegasWriter. BLGP is also brought to you by the Radio Control Room Project. For details, please visit www.rcrproject.com or rfihc.com. Zig thanks you. Hello, great justice.